Last week, we talked about setting boundaries in saving lives work. And this week, we're covering one thing that can help your teams move from chaos to under control. After decades of nonprofit leadership impacting thousands, we hit a wall. We started asking ourselves, how can we go beyond our personal success and leave a legacy that lasts far beyond our lifetimes? A job change in multiple conversations with stressed out nonprofit leaders later, our desire to help nonprofits grow in a healthy and sustainable way was bigger than ever. If you're a leader at the top or in the middle of a volunteer and donor-based organization, this podcast is for you. We believe that a better world needs healthier nonprofits, and it's our passion to help you fulfill your organization's mission while helping you live a fulfilled life. I'm Ted. And I'm Lisa. Welcome to the Legacy Builders Movement. So one conversation that we've regularly been coming back to is how to make those decisions that you need to make when it seems like everything is screaming at you. In nonprofit work, it can feel like there are always fires to be put out. Uh, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Uh, whatever other cliche thing you want to the think of. The tyranny of the urgent, important versus urgent. Yes, there are so many of these things. And when we can't figure out how to take control of them, it's so easy to start to feel like this is just how it is. Chaos will forever reign. I'm always going to be putting in 60, 70 hours of work a week. And then I'm going to be working in the evening and checking my phone and getting phone calls at midnight and writing notes at 2 a.m. about things I have to get done because I don't want to forget anything because everything's important. And, and then pretty everything, soon, everything that goes good is just like opening up a present of a whole bunch of other little bad things you didn't even know were connected yes. to the good thing. Oh, it's terrible. <laughs> After a while, you're like, oh, man, if this thing works, that just means that the next event has to be bigger and crazier and it's just going to add more chaos. Um, it doesn't have to be like that, but we totally understand how it gets to be like that. And so we are talking today about one thing that can make a huge difference in this. It will make a huge difference in this if you start to implement it. Um, and very soon, you'll start to see things in your organization start to come under control um, and start getting calm. Now, we didn't say that you were going to get control because we think that <laughs> we don't want to be hyper-controlling leaders. Like We want to lead healthy organizations that allow leaders to also lead in a healthy way and flourish. At mm -hmm. the same time, that doesn't mean things have to be chaotic or just completely out of control. Things can be under control, and you can actually lead a peaceful, healthy life while also leading a highly impactful and healthy organization, um, which if someone hasn't told you that before, I'm telling you right now, you don't have to keep living this way, and there is hope to have something that's really good both for your organization and for you personally. Yeah, we've seen it in our con consultation work. We see organizations that are actually believe believe it or not, there are organizations <laughs> that are accomplishing things that are running in a peaceful way that when even when we dig in behind the scenes, we see things are good and things are healthy on the inside. It's not like uh, everybody is cursed to have this terrible uh, experience when you peel back the curtain. Um, so if you're in a situation like that, you're not stuck there. You can, there is a way out of that without quitting. <laughs> okay. There is a way to actually adjust stuff within the organization. I think right away, first of all, like we're going to talk, we're going to cover that one thing in just a second. But one piece of it, I think, is that that need or that desire for control that causes a lot of problems from the get go. Instead of saying, I want to get this under control. You start thinking, I need to take control. And what that does is that 
removes agency from people within your organization to actually accomplish things on behalf of the organization. Yeah. They start becoming people who can only work when given very specific instructions and oversight rather than people who can take an idea or take a project and run with it and be able to actually lead and grow and take care of the organization. So if you're if your initial thought was I need to take control of the situation, um, we're going to encourage you to think about this a little bit differently because you don't want to completely relinquish and not pay attention to anything. But you do need to learn how to release control Mm -hmm. so that way other leaders and other people who have uh, capacity can come on board and are attracted to being a part of your organization. Because when you take control, you are telling leaders, I don't want you here. Yeah. And that's a that's a big that's going to be a big problem for you. You're going to end up creating a lot more work for yourself. And this is a natural thing that happens that we see on a regular basis. Uh, organizations get going, the leader starts to feel like things are getting too chaotic. And either um, they say, I need to get this under control, I need to raise up other leaders and start handing stuff off and getting help. Or, and this is more common, is they'll say, I need to take control and start leading and telling people what to do. And what happens initially is the second one that more people lean toward, it can work for a short term. But what happens is the people in your organization who actually highly value leadership, um, they want a chance to actually use that leadership skill that they have and grow people on the teams, eventually recognize this person wants control so much that I can't even stay here because there is no leadership available to me. There's nothing that I can be doing here except act as an admin. And over time, what will happen is all of your key leaders and those people who are really good at rallying people around the cause and actually leading volunteers into doing different things will eventually get swapped out for people who have more administrative personalities. Now, we like admins. Uh, With our personalities, we need a couple people to be around us who can basically keep us on task (laughs) and be like, hey, deadlines. Um... But knowing that about ourselves, we also recognize that if we only had admins on a team, those aren't people who are always going to be able to just pick up, gather a group of people around them, get volunteers in place and get what we need done, done. And so if you end up with people who always need you to have control, then you end up putting yourself in a position where your desire for control now has turned into a... I have to micromanage because if I don't micromanage, um, the stuff will not get done. And once you are in that place, it is very, very difficult to step out of that. And it can almost become a trap where because you micromanage, you need all the control. And because you're controlling, you're having to micromanage more. Um, And so to move out of that, totally possible, but it's going to take a big shift in how you're thinking about your organization. Self-control. And... uh, Yes, the law of self-control is that you can Mm -hmm. actually say no to yourself so you can allow other leaders to come in and actually have space to lead within your organization. So let's talk about the one thing that we promised we were going to talk about at the beginning of of this podcast. (laughs) That's all right, though. I think that that was a really um, important thing to cover. But the one thing, I was uh, just scrolling on YouTube a couple weeks ago, and... I came across, I don't know if you guys have ever seen in YouTube, like those little, they're like, um, 
like photo album things that like a community post that a channel will post and it'll be like just a series of pictures. It's almost like a little Instagram like photo album thing built into YouTube. It's kind of weird for YouTube. But anyway, I was looking through it and it was like advice given by an 85 year old man on his deathbed. And I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. Like, I want to know, you know, people looking back at their lives, like what would they have changed? What would they have done different or what advice do they have to give? Because different perspective they different perspective and they've also been through it they've seen what actually Mm -hmm. mattered at the end of their life versus you know so uh one of the things stuck out to me and uh this uh elderly person on their deathbed had said address a small the small problems early because the small problems will almost always turn into big problems later on and then then he went on to say this works for everything. This works for car problems, problems with your house, problems with your spouse, problems with your kids, problems with your work. And he just like went on and this is a big list. And I was like thinking through it and I was like, oh, crap, we've got like a little wobble in our car. So I'm like immediately thinking like it's a little wobble now, but like what's that going to shake loose? What's that going to wreck down into the future? And it's totally true. I mean, especially with a, a machine that's got a lot of moving parts. You got one little thing that's off. It can throw the whole thing out of perspective. Same thing's true with your health, right? Mm-hmm. If you are noticing like pain in your knee, you want to get that figured out early on before it turns into a bigger problem. And oftentimes, most of the time, it's easier to treat when it's a small problem mm-hmm. where you adjusting for that pain over time can cause your cartilage to waste away like big, big problems where now you need knee replacements or whatever. So we were thinking about this in the context of, of course, nonprofit work. Cause that's yeah. what, that's what we do. We try to think like nonprofit leaders we're trying to help everybody around here to think like good, non good, healthy nonprofit leaders. Okay. Now for any of you stressed about our car, it's taken care of. Oh yeah. We took care of it. <clears throat> we're good. <laughs> um, but yeah, this but my knee us... still hurts. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> this got us thinking though, um, specifically for nonprofits and something that we've implemented, but you know, those things that work and you kind of, I don't know, you you forget that they work or you forget to tell people like this is what worked um, because you just get in the habit of doing it. Either it works so well that you never do it again or it works so well you always do it and then you just kind of, it becomes like second nature and then you forget to teach the next person. Yeah, pass it down. Um, what we realized is the biggest fires going on in our lives didn't have to become big fires. They started out as a small little thing that if just properly addressed with a 30 second conversation early on would have been totally fine. The vast majority of big things right now that are screaming at you that feel like they have to get done and they're like major issues, not the short term. Oh, you got an email from someone and you have to respond to them. and You don't want to forget. But I'm talking about like the issues right now that you are feeling the pressure of you're like. I have to get this figured out with my organization's budget, or I'm having this issue with this key leader, um, and they're looking at possibly quitting, and if they quit, I'm going to lose half of that volunteer team. Um, Or I have this one business relationship where someone has consistently donated, and apparently I ignored their phone calls for six months, and now they feel like I don't care about them unless they give me money. Like, those kinds of issues 
all of them started out as something very, very, very small that you probably noticed. I got a perfect example of this. So I was the full-time creative director uh, for a church and we had, uh, you know, lighting technicians and musicians and video directors and videographers and camera operators and like just pretty much anything that was kind of creative was under under my purview. And I remember at one point being extremely stressed out because we didn't have enough band members to actually, I remember a few, a few different points is happening, but we didn't have enough band members to fill all the different slots across different locations and, and all that stuff. And specifically drummers was always like really, really hard in the area that we are and, and whatever. And so, um, I remember thinking like, oh my gosh, like, how did this happen? Like, we used to have a lot of drummers and now we don't have like any. And I traced back the problem. So I traced it back to, well, this guy all of a sudden stopped playing drums and he was covering a whole bunch of locations. He was available all the time. I traced it back a step further to a few weeks earlier when I had asked him, Hey, can you, can you just come in one more weekend right now? And he was like, this is going to be really tough. Like my family, I, I don't, I could probably make it work. And I was like, okay, cool. Thanks. I traced it back a few weeks earlier or a few months earlier. And he had shown up to practice, not quite knowing his stuff like he normally did. And I remember thinking like, this is sort of weird. You know, like you, you normally show up knowing all the parts perfectly and we don't have to like go over anything. And that was the moment. That was the moment where I should have talked to him and figured out what was going on because what was going on is he was having trouble at work and he was having to put in a lot of extra hours, which was putting strain on his family, which is putting strain on all this stuff. And that final thing, when I asked him to come in one extra time if I had known about all that stuff, I wouldn't have even like done that ask. I would have actually just done like a care call. Like, hey, how are you doing? How can I be praying for you or whatever? Right. But that one ask tipped his family over the edge. And his wife was like, I, we just I can't have you play drums anymore. And when when your family says we cannot do this right now for the foreseeable future, you either choose like I'm going to volunteer and play drums for fun at church or I'm going to like be here for you my family, family. You, you should choose your family right <laughs> and so that's an example of a big problem that turned into then it put strain on other the other drummers and all of a sudden all the dominoes started to kind of fall and if i had addressed that problem early on instead of just saying like well that was weird <laughs> you know and just be like we made it through the the sunday morning uh the music went great good thing he's good enough that we were able to figure it out anyway um instead of just moving on and saying okay this is a small little spark mm -hmm. that could turn into a big fire how do i address it now where well, it's much easier to address it also would give me a lot more time to figure out hey we need to infuse a few extra new drummers to fill in this guy's position because he's covering several positions right now and i yeah. can tell that there's the beginnings of burnout and strain on him and on his family so the real trick then becomes recognizing those small problems right so that you can address them and taking the time to do it 
So part of this, depending on what your role is in your organization and what you're doing, um, to start, you're going to have to go through the last, well, actually right now, either what you're dealing with or what you've been dealing with recently and asking the question, when did this actually start? Mm-hmm. Because the problem didn't start a week ago or 30 days ago or possibly even 90 days ago. There's probably something that was a really small spark that happened much, <clears throat> much, much earlier. And if you can start to work your way back and actually start seeing when those happened, how they happened, you'll actually start to notice those things as you go forward. Mm-hmm. So with Ted, um, I'm sure once he recognized, oh, that's where that started, going forward, as you saw musicians who were a little bit off, who were typically very, very on, I'm sure your conversation went just a little bit different. It's probably oh, yeah. less of a, once well, that's I, weird. And once more I of recognized a, where it was going. Let's talk. Like, let's let's figure this out mm-hmm. right now. Because even if that person would still need to step away after a certain amount of time because of their work or whatever else they might have going on, mm-hmm. that would still give you enough runway to be able to get other people into place in a way that's healthy for them, healthy for your teams, healthy for your organization. And then it's also healthy for you as a leader in your personal lives. Because when you are constantly running just to put out the fires, it is exhausting. It Mm -hmm. is so tiring. But if you can start to actually build up your organization and your teams in a way that you're not getting to the place where there are multiple fires all the time, um, or there just aren't really fires because you've systemized it and you've started to see ahead in a way that um, you you can just see what's going on. Like it got to a point where when we were leading people, I could see an issue, have a conversation with the person and pretty quickly know what their timeline was for either if they were going to stay or if they were going to quit. And there were a couple of people I was like, that person's going to be gone within 90 days. We got to plan differently. And it wasn't because um, we didn't have the conversation. Like those conversations were happening early and often. But we just recognize sometimes there are things that happen in people's lives that make them have to make a shift, and that's okay. But just because change needs to happen doesn't mean that change needs to cause chaos in our lives. Um, And if you can start to see those conversations as beneficial versus scary, it changes because a lot of times you avoid stuff because you don't want to hear the answers. Right. And that, and that kind of became a, a big thing for me when I realized that yes, this initial conversation might feel a little awkward and only, and, and, and in some ways it only feels awkward if you make it awkward, but that initial conversation of like, Hey, I noticed you were a little off today. You know, if I came on, came down on the guy and was like, Hey, you really sucked today on the drums. <laughs> Like that's creating an awkward situation <laughs> yeah. conversation for me. Like, Hey, I noticed normally you're like really prepared. Are, are you okay? And actually, and not just saying that to try to like get a real answer out of him, but actually asking out of like care, like that, that would have changed so much. And it would have made like, sure. That conversation might've been kind of hard and maybe a little bit like, um, uh, intimate feeling, you know, like I'm kind of, opening up possibly a can here where there might be some tears or I don't know, but all of those emotions scare me. So I just didn't (laughs) want to do it. The small amount of potential pain in that initial conversation was so much more preferable to the large amount of pain later on that comes from all of the dominoes crumbling. Yeah. 
in all the pieces. And this is something that we have to recognize that there is discomfort that's going to happen simply because we are in leadership. Mm -hmm. Um, Leadership isn't a lack of awkward conversations. It's about being aware enough that you can choose when those conversations are going to have happen and have them early enough that they're not as bad as they could be. And this isn't just like trying to do stuff out of avoidance, but truly recognizing for the sake of the people that we're leading, for the sake of the people that we're helping, for the sake of our families, we need to be having these conversations frequently and often. And yes, we might not get the answers that we want. But at the end of the day, finding out earlier that someone needs to make a change is much more preferable than finding out when it's too late that someone already has made a change. Um, Finding out that a donor or, you know, just reaching out to a donor that you're like, oh, I feel like last time we had kind of an awkward conversation and I want to make sure things are right because I really don't want them to just feel like it's about the money, but I don't know what to say. Calling them today and having that conversation and saying, just be honest. You know, last time I feel like I just didn't communicate very well. I said this. I'm really sorry that I probably came across like this is the thing. That's not my intention. Here's what I'm actually thinking. Here's what I meant to say. And here's how I should have worded it. I'm really sorry. Mm -hmm. Um, Is there anything I can do to make sure that we're still good? Because I value you, not for your money, but because you're a person. And you've just been so helpful to our organization over the years. And it's just been encouraging for me personally. And I don't want to lose that. Have that phone call. That phone call, yes, it will be awkward. It will be so much better, though, than when it comes for that person's next whatever the donation might be. And you either don't hear from them at all or you hear from them and it's in the form of, I'm not giving to you. I'm never giving you to you again. I've told all my friends not to give to you. I don't like your organization. Lose my phone number. Um, <laughs> that small spark turned into a nuclear explosion. <laughs> it, it's kind of crazy how that stuff can happen. Yep. I mean, we've been on both sides of it as leaders. We've had volunteers who early on were like, okay, we learned a lesson. We're not doing that again. And then we've had the times where we've been able to address stuff in a much better way and in a much healthier way. Mm-hmm. And not only was it healthier for our marriage and for our family, it was healthier for the teams. Like our part of the organization got so much better when we recognize stepping into discomfort is the better way of doing so much. Um, we've also been on the other side with different organizations that we've been a part of over the last 18 years, 19 years. How long have Whoa. we been together? A lot of years. Um, <laughs> I haven't done the math recently. Where we've had some organizations where, you know, we've served with them for a season and we had to step out and we've maintained those relationships really well. And then we've had other ones that we served with for a season and we've had to step out. And because the conversations weren't addressed properly, like those relationships were lost over time. And that's not what anyone wants, especially your volunteers with you. There's a reason that they're with you and there's a reason that they care about you. Um, And so when they have to make a change, usually they're either devastated that they have to, or they've gotten to a point where they're so mad that they're willing to burn it down. And we don't want either one of those for your organization or for your personal life because both of them hurt. Yeah, absolutely. So we talked about, Um, the organizational leader who sees the problem 
when it's little and avoids it because that was me. <laughs> <laughs> um, for whatever reason, you avoid it because you don't have time or whatever. Um, there's also on the other side of the spectrum, there are leaders who are so focused on trying to get things done that they just have blinders on to the small problems. And um, what is your advice to that kind of leader? Um, with that kind of leader, my advice would be to get someone around you who you trust, um, who you give permission to, to call you out on stuff and to bring issues to you. Mm -hmm. This takes having a massive amount of humility to just go to someone and say, listen, I recognize I'm incredibly driven. I get my blinders on and I'm kind of a, I'm going to get this done regardless of what it takes. And I recognize that there's strength in it, but I also recognize that it will be my downfall if I don't get this in check. So as a leader, I'm not putting the responsibility on you. I'm saying I'm going to work on this because I have to recognize my own weaknesses. Mm -hmm. And no, they're not strengths in the making, like they're weaknesses. I'm going to work <laughs> on this. At the same time, since we work in close proximity, I'm asking that if you see that I've had a conversation with someone that it didn't go well, or you kind of hear whispers of something, or you just see that I mishandled a situation, I'm giving you permission to come to me and tell me about it and even advise me on what you think I should do if you're comfortable with that. Um, a lot and of times that does take a ton of humility and it's going to take in that moment when they do come to you submitting, like yep. there's a submission that needs to happen. You've been that for me in a lot of cases and it's so good because I find it easy to submit in those areas because you're so smart and you're so strategic <laughs> that it's like, I'm so like fly by the seat of my pants kind of. That it's so nice to have somebody in my corner who I know has my best interest at heart and knows that things that I care about succeeding cares about those things, too. Right. So when they come to you and they say, hey, I've noticed that this this person needs some care. That is not the time for me as a leader to say, now nah, they'll be fine. Like when you've given that person the permission to step in and say this is important you have them in that position because you can't see it. Yeah. So when they say it's important, it now is. And the biggest thing is that submission piece in keeping our egos in check when that conversation needs to happen. Um, because it's really easy to look at someone and be like, no, I think you're wrong. Nope, I handled that perfectly. Nope, the conversation's great. Nope, they're fine. Nope, that's not worth my time. Whatever the case may be. Um, and as leaders, we want to fully understand what our strengths are right? Like you want to know what you're good at because it is terrible to follow a leader who thinks they're good at something and they're not. Like you want, we all want leaders who know what their strengths are and know how to run with those and just really lean into that. At the same time, we need to bring people around us who are strong in the areas where we are weak and who are willing to talk to us and give us a heads up when they see a way that we might be running for a cliff because our blinders are on and we think everything is just going great, but in the process, we might accidentally be destroying something. And so it takes a level of humility to have the conversation. It takes a ton of self-control when that person comes to you then and says, your key volunteer, when you were having this conversation, you didn't see the look on their face, or at least I don't think you did. 
but they are incredibly hurt by what you said. You thought you were just handing out a few tasks, but I think that they feel like you don't even care about how their life is doing and that you're just taking advantage of them. And in that moment, we have to have the self-control to keep our pride, keep our ego and take and keep whatever else we have going on in check and say, listen, you might be right. You might be wrong. But at the end of the day, I know I trust you. What do you think I should do about that? Mm -hmm. Um, And we need to be careful with those relationships. Because if you have someone as a leader who's actually willing to be honest with you and point those things out to you, you don't want to lose them. Those relationships are hard to find. And I would say, too, what's interesting about this is a lot of nonprofit organizations, and I've seen this specifically in churches, where the pastor will have uh, around them a, a bunch of people who are kind of like holding them accountable. But a lot of those people are very distant, like they're pastors of other churches. They're not seeing the day to day. They're not seeing what's going on inside the organization or they're like board members. They're not there during like staff meetings or anything like that. They're not seeing a lot of these other interactions. So I think it's important for leaders of organizations to have at least one person who gets behind the scenes access because the behind the scenes access is where a lot of these little things start. Mm-hmm. Um, you have these big advisors and people holding you accountable uh, outside the organization. And those are great, but they can't address stuff until it's a fire. They, they are, can't help you oh. until you recognize that it's a problem. Because they are only hearing what you are telling them. Right. They're not seeing all the interactions. And so we've seen leaders of organizations go to their board and the board will be like, so what happened with this volunteer? And they're like, oh, you know, they, they, just, they just got busy. Oh, is anything wrong? No, they just needed more time for so their they work. They can't advise you on that if you don't know what was going on with it or if you make up something to make yourself look better. Right. And we've seen that <laughs> yep. partly because of, like I said, you don't want to be seen as wrong. Like, And mm-hmm. we get that as leaders. There's an innate thing of we want to be right. That's well, not even and we leaders. want to be That's trusted just... <laughs> as a leader, too. I yeah. mean, it comes from a place of wanting to know that if we if we do have like, hey, we need to take this next hill, you need people that are going to say, yes, we trust you instead of like, we doubt everything that you do because you're always making mistakes all over the place. Yeah. And this is the interesting thing that does not make sense about leadership, but it will make a huge difference with your organization. If you can get good at having these small conversations early on and noticing these small things and going in with humility and saying hey, I see this thing is going on. Is there something that I can help with? How's your family doing? How are you doing? Did I say something? Like, what's the issue? And you're at a place where you can actually hear it. You might have someone say, you asked me to do this and I don't have time. I told you my family is going through a lot right now and you just didn't care. Hmm. In that moment, it is much easier to say, I am so sorry. You're right. I was wrong. Mm-hmm. What can I do to make that better versus having to stand up in front of your entire organization and say, this key leader left with all of these volunteers and I don't know why I did nothing wrong when everyone knows that you handled that relationship incorrectly. Hmm. Most of the salacious news stories that come out about nonprofits in church leaders come out because something small happened years ago that wasn't properly addressed. 
and in the process of trying to make sure that that leader never had to admit any wrongdoing, the leader got put in a position where now they cannot fail or else the organization crumbles. Mm -hmm. And it's so much easier if we can learn the humility at the beginning, because what we found is as we admit our weaknesses and as we admit when we mess up and have those honest conversations with people, we had people and have people who follow us as leaders who part of me is like, why are you still around? Like you've seen the good, (laughs) the bad and the ugly Mm -hmm. and yet you're still supporting us. And they're like, yeah, but I know what I'm getting. Mm. I know that you'll own up to stuff if you were to mess up. And it puts us in a position of not having to even have the facade of perfection. And that right there takes so much of the pressure off of nonprofit leadership. If you can get to that point. Absolutely. No, the, uh, the, the whole concept of noticing and addressing those early, early, early issues, um, especially interpersonal ones where it can be hard to figure out what's actually going on unless you actually care about the people and care to care about the people. That is one of the biggest struggles of a nonprofit that is volunteer based and donor based mm-hmm. um, is having the capacity to do that um, as a leader and making sure your organization has the capacity to handle that for the size that you want to be, because you can become a very bloated organization without the care infrastructure and that is like a balloon that's just ready to pop. Like you want to make sure, you know, it comes to mind. This is really, really (laughs) weird, but I have a friend who's getting into 3d printing and she showed me, (laughs) she showed me like her first attempt at 3d printing. It was a total mess. Like it was all caved in on itself. And it was like, it was like the most sad um, D and D dragon you've ever seen in your life. It's really bad. And she was laughing about it. I was like, what went wrong? And she's like the support, the support beams that were like, whatever, like I forgot to do it correctly. And so as it was printing, it just kind of, and like that, that's totally what a lot of nonprofit organizations are doing. They're building up like systems and structures for organization purpose and like administrative purpose, but they're not building up care infrastructure. And so eventually it's going to all crumble when uh, you can't actually see what's really going on uh, and care for people well. And so I think a big takeaway from this conversation as well isn't just like notice the things or take care of the things when they're small, but also like implement some really good high quality care infrastructure in your organization from from the get go yeah from the starting point because that's going to allow you to actually healthily take care of a problem because i've seen um when problems get about halfway through their life cycle a lot of leaders will start to notice them and think that they're noticing it early on and they'll come down on the person and be like hey why didn't you show up for practice on time like in like a mean way rather than recognizing like if they're there at all, the <laughs> just say they, it. <laughs> they care. They care to be there. So you coming down on them is such a jerk thing to do. Instead, <laughs> figure out like what's yeah. going on in their life. Like, figure out how you can come alongside. Like, 
if it was a job and they were getting paid and they showed up late, like they're getting paid. That's but if different. They're, but if they're volunteer. They're volunteer. <laughs> if they're volunteer, like you, they're they're showing up at all, which means that they wanted to be there. Something just went wrong. Yeah. Also, we need to know as leaders <clears throat> that by the time we're seeing something. Even if we catch the first instance of it in our organization, by the time we are seeing it, it, it has already been going on in our volunteers' personal lives for months. Yeah. And they have people, just kept it. They've just kept it. They've, they've kept it going. Yeah, because most people try to, like, shine it up, too. Like, they don't want to appear weak or appear like they can't handle it or yeah. whatever. Yep. And so we need the systems in place in order to make sure that we are effectively caring for people and caring for them extremely well because ultimately if we succeed in the mission of helping all the people that we're trying to help and we have treated our volunteers like crap and now they are completely anti what we're doing anti all nonprofits, and have said forget all this i'm out have we really done our job i don't think so <laughs> we're so. definitely not leaving a legacy which is what we're all about here at legacy builders the legacy yeah. builders movement legacy builders podcast all the stuff we're, we're trying to like make things grow <laughs> over time rather than like shrink and shrivel up like a poorly designed 3d printing dragon and so <laughs> we would love to hear stories of uh, from you guys and hear what you're thinking about what what issue are you trying to trace back this week to figure out where it actually started. Not where you think it started, but where it actually started. What issue are you trying to track back to that so you can be aware of them in the future? And we'd also love to hear about how you are implementing care structures inside of your organization. You can always send us an email to office, office. at LegacyBuildersINTL.com. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Legacy Builders Movement. If you appreciate this podcast and find that it's valuable, the best way that you could help us is to subscribe and leave us a rating and review. To learn more about Legacy Builders, go to LegacyBuildersInternational.com. That's LegacyBuildersINTL.com. 